Hi, and welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters. And I'm Owen Shirley. And in this episode of the podcast, we feature a remote roundtable discussion with four experienced dialogue editors uh, from either side of the Atlantic. Um, It was hosted by Owen. I wasn't able to attend, but I have helped to edit this episode. And I must say, it's a really interesting discussion. There's something in there for people from all levels within the industry. I know I've learned a lot myself. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to Owen now. Just to say welcome to the AMPS podcast for our first dialogue discussion, dialogue editors round table without a table. It's nice to be joined by a very esteemed group of highly experienced dialogue editors. And we've got decades of experience on the podcast here across film, TV and streamed content. So it's going to be really good to just get some conversation going and hear some insights for hopefully budding dialogue editors, people who've never thought about dialogue editing at all, production sound people, or just anyone who's interested. But yeah, just so we know who's in the room, as it were, I just wonder if you could introduce yourselves. Sure. I'm Michelle Woods. Um, I'm a dialogue editor, supervisor, and I've been doing this for 20-something years. Um, Started off as a dubbing mixer, but now do dialogues for mostly film and television. Hello, I am Vince Tennant, uh, also a dialogue editor and supervisor, uh, working at uh, Warner Brothers here in beautiful Los Angeles. This is my most recent gig. Uh, I spent, uh, yeah, just about 20 years and started out in uh, the reality game and uh, now doing a bunch of uh, comic book nonsense for the, uh, the Warner Brothers. Hi, my name is Mark Spector. I've been a dialogue editor for about 13 years, started off doing indie film past few years moved into TV and uh, and also the creator of Kraken Dialogue Editors Toolkit. Hi, I'm Ian Anderson. I'm a mixer editor at Savalas Post in Glasgow. I've got around 15 years or so experience in sound for TV, drama and feature films. I'm a dialogue editor and a dubbing mixer. Well, thanks everyone. That's great. So we kind of had a discussion before about some of the kind of questions that we thought might be interesting to uh, start a discussion about. So I guess starting from the start, really, starting from like where the job starts, um, what kind of communication do you have with picture editors, if anything at all, when you're first getting onto a project? Assistant editors. Uh, assistant editor would be the one who, if you know if the project is big enough that they have one. It totally varies uh, different people and different people have different knowledge of how to deliver well, you know, on indie films, the sort of thing I grew up with, you, you know, who know, you get who knows what. You sort of get something and hope that you can make it work. And in TV more recently, I've been more blessed with good deliveries, good turnovers and a nice full set of rushes. And, yeah, you know, we just hope to get the usual array of stuff that we that we expect. And if we don't, just sort of decide whether it's worth fighting back to get it or whether it's worth just working around it, you know. Whether fisticuffs are going to be involved. Yeah, you know, it's, sometimes they've shut down, you often hear they've shut down the uh, picture department. That's what I heard a lot on indie features. There is no more edit department. So you've got what you've got. Okay, then. Well, you know. I usually try to get in touch with them as soon as I've got the job and tell them what I require. So then hopefully I'll get it. <laughs> and rushes are the main thing that I ask for. Number one, as soon as they finish shooting, please send those over. So then I've got them in the bag and ready to get started when they actually can 
give over turnover. Otherwise called da- dailies in the US. I'm talking to a lot of US people. Yes. I've got, you've got to say dailies yeah. as well. Rushes, dailies. Yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't say rushes. We say dailies or sound rolls, usually like the two terms you hear over here more often. Uh, my stuff, I, I'm, I've been lucky lately uh, to be working for a big money studio scenario. So like they have these do- ironclad documents of what they have to turn over and uh, the head of the uh, assistant sound editors is, is ruthless uh, at Warner Brothers and uh, well known for it. And so if they get anything that's slightly out of uh, kilter on that stuff, he just sends it back. Just no, 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 no. Do it again. Do it again. He calls it a teachable moment. Uh, and so we luck out in the sense that they, uh, they, they have the power to sort of boss around people quite a bit. So a lot of that stuff happens before I get there. Uh, and then my contact with the picture department is usually starting with the spotting sessions for the episodes and kind of getting everybody on the same page as a supervisor for what the ADR cues are and what little things I'm hearing in the tracks as we're doing spotting to be, ah, what's wrong there or what happened or why don't we have this or that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, like I said, the, the, thankfully the turnover stuff kind of uh, bypasses me and we have a whole team of people that do the assemblies. I know a lot of you guys do your <clears> own um, but in the U.S. side, like I said, having a studio thing, a lot of that stuff gets done kind of behind the scenes so that we're ready to go on day one and we don't have to do that portion of the job most of the time. Obviously, independent features and stuff, side work stuff's a little bit different, but my day-to-day uh, works a little bit more like that. So Nice. What a luxury. <laughs> it, is, it is. I didn't realize how spoiled I was. That is the hardest bit of the job is getting the turnover and getting the right stuff. I mean, once you've got it all set, then you're you can just go get your job done. <laughs> the past few projects I've I've been lucky enough to be working with more or less, you know, the, the same post super and the same post coordinator. So we start out early, very early on in the process of saying, you know, th- this is what we're going to need when you're ready. And then when we find out who the editor is on it, or usually the assistant editor, um, that we usually already know them, which is really quite handy. That we've now got a a sort of shorthand that we can go, oh yeah, it's you and it's us guys and well, you know what we need and here's a quick refresher but, you know, it's fine. You know what to do already and um, we're usually straight up as early as with post coordinators and supervisors to go, just so when you know, this is the stuff we're going to need. So let us know when it becomes available and then we can take it from there. Sounds kind of ideal really and like one of the things that came up there was I think maybe overlooked a lot is just like how much material you need to kind of organise and, and receive in the first place to get going. So like blocks of rushes, you know, it's, it's no small kind of file. So there's some element of pre-planning that has to go on with that, right? I mean, are you, are you oh, yeah. receiving a hard drive or are you downloading most of that material now? Or These days I'm downloading. Downloading. Definitely, yeah. I mean, occasionally they'll send me a drive with COVID and everything. Um, in the past, I used to have to go into town and pick up a drive. But yeah, now it's mostly online which is pretty amazing just set it up overnight and you get all your rushes still lucky i get a drive because most of the edit suites that are using it up in glasgow anyway um are fairly local to where the studio is so it's easier and quicker for me to go and pick up a drive of three or four hundred gigs worth of rushes or dailies um than it is for me to try and download that um i, th- I think the kids would get upset with their games playing if i had that going all the time you know so uh, <laughs> yeah usually a drive for me and since we're on that sort of subject and turnovers have come up you know for anyone who's like not familiar with what a turnover would entail that's such like great shorthand obviously isn't it with the ideal kind of requirements being there but what would you expect to get as like a minimum within a turnover uh, a quick time a video which with a, some sort of guide track on it sometimes split left and right 
dialogue on the left and music and effects on the right, that's the obvious bare minimum to see what you're working with. Then the rushes, critical. So you have all the material for alternates, for assembly and for alternate material if you need it. And then the AAF, as a, for me, as a reference, but for some people actually work from the AAF, uh, which provides a replication of the picture editor's sound layout. So that's useful to see what they're thinking and to work directly with it if you're that way inclined. And then if you want to assemble back to RAW, which I do, an EDL, a sound EDL, which is a list in text form of all the edits and the source positions within all the media of how to rebuild the timeline. And also a video EDL, which is similar, but shows the video media. It's useful to be able to look up exactly what picture cuts they used rather than what sound cuts, because that's not always the same. There could be, they might have switched out material and not left the original. So having the video EDL useful as well. Very handy for finding cheated alts, that one. Is that, you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. those things that you always that catch your eye. You go, oh, that doesn't look quite right. What have they done there? And, you know, with the very bare minimum audio EDL and video EDL, you can tell very quickly. You went, okay, right, that's what it should be, which is really handy if you have to ADR the line as well. There's nothing worse than you arrive at the ADR stage and you've got the guide sound that's, right. that's got the fudged take, but actually you need to do it for you know, some other reason, whether it be background or they want to change the performance or whatever it is, that actually being able to tell what's not actual sync, uh, as in what they performed on set, if you can go back to what it was they actually did from a sync purpose, then it's easier for the actors to sync it as they're in the booth. Um, and we know where to match it, especially when you're fitting ADR or even alt, some of the alts that they chop in, they might look all right, but then when you mod match them, you go, no, wait a minute, it's, yeah, it's... That's actually right, having that original to go. Yeah. Where did that teeth actually fall on this thing that matches the picture? I will say, you know, Mark had brought up Kraken at the beginning, his delightful uh, tool. You know, the alt finding portion is a big part of Kraken and the, and the assembly stuff is a big part of Kraken. But for me, honestly, at this point, the thing I use it for almost the most often is to pull match video EDL stuff. Uh, so I'll always have my video EDL loaded and there is now a feature to like spot the current event into Pro Tools, I probably do that, you know, 40 times a show. I mean, I usually don't bother to assemble the full video. I mean, I could, uh, but just finding little spots where you realize like, oh, we're missing something or they cut away yeah. here. And there was like a little reaction from an actor. You're like, oh, do we have the audio for that or whatever it is? Or like you said, cheats all the time. You know, they didn't give me the original from the cheats and I know it's a cheat. Uh, that's, you know, a good portion of what I'm doing uh, with Kraken at this point is to just grab those quick, 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 quick bits to, to, to round things out. Yeah, I have to say before using Kraken, I was doing it manually. So I was getting the slate and take numbers on the QuickTime and then trying to find, seeing, matching what was there and what was on the timeline and going, okay, that doesn't match, finding it, bringing it in. I mean, Kraken just saves me hours of time. So it's brilliant. Well, and it also, for me, like I, you know, you sound like you're way less lazy than I am. Uh, so like there would be that question where you're like, how important is this really? Like where <laughs> you're like, this is, a, I, I got to do this manually. Like how far am I really willing to go right now for this moment? You know what I mean? And whereas like when it's, you know, it, it's so easy to do, you're like, okay, cool. I, I can do, I can check this even if it's useless. You know what I mean? Whereas like you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm checking 20 of these and they've all been useless. I'm just going to stop checking. You know what I mean? And that's one of the big things for me is just that it's, it's cured a little bit of my inherent lazy. 
uh, to go find, you know, little, little touches and little things that I think, you know, do make things a lot better. Yeah, even just like little breaths that they just bought, you know, they just cut out and you get it in that video EDL and you can see, oh, great. Okay, that bit, I could actually put that in rather than try to find something that matches or ADR it even. Picture editor editors hate breathing. I don't know what it is about them, but they hate it. Yeah. It's because it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to cut in well. As we all know, we've all been there, you know, trying to, to fix something. And, you know, you get double inhales, you get double exhales and you're going you haven't given us anywhere to go so you end up having to ADR it and that's even worse because then it's a free-for-all so it's because it takes extra effort that at that point they're just not interested just gone it just it, it has to sound like this or we want the feeling of this we want these breaths to keep going or I'll just throw that in or worse it's a repeat of two or three and you know by the second time you've heard it you've went okay right we, we know what's going on here that's going to be a bit of work for me later on yeah I'll I'll, I'll argue on behalf of picture editors and say that it's probably far enough down the list of things they have to worry about that I'll just about accept it. Yeah. You know, I just always find when it's odd where it's just like, it's a round dialogue and it's just in the handle. And I'm like, you, you had to go through effort to get rid of this. Like, just leave it. It was fine. It matched picture. It was good. <laughs> yeah. But it was probably like a big lip smack. And for them, they thought, oh, that's distracting and took it right out. Whereas we can actually soften it and make it still look natural and not sound as harsh. So inexcusable. It's all that. That's inexcusable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see, see, this is, this is the problem. You guys are going to be all political and, def and defending all those folks. And I'm just gonna be like, no, no, string them up. Just, just set them on fire. That's my about policy. So, hey, wait, I, I want to piggyback on this question, though. So, like, Mark did a great job of talking about, like, the bare minimum of what it is. What's the icing on the cake for you guys? What are the, the extra extras that if you can get them, you're super stoked about having them? I was going to say, I, I, it feels like, like in the olden days now, I used to think about getting a continuity script. That was probably because I used to do loads of films and I don't anymore. Continuity line scripts, like, in theory, but... I haven't seen one of those for years. And then it's kind of a similar tone, a sound report, an actual written sound report. This is like the, kind of like a cliche now about in, in a handover discussions, written sound reports. Like haven't seen one for years either. Uh, so I, you say this, the icing, that's not the icing. I, I don't want, really want that. I don't, I don't <laughs> think a sound recorder should spend their time worrying about writing down too much stuff. They should spend all their time getting the, the miking perfect, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, other stuff? I would say, Mark, I get it. We get all that stuff over here, but I don't. I I rarely have ever looked at it. You I look I mean? at like it for wild tracks, but that's about it, really. Just for wild tracks, or or, yeah. To be honest, I have Anything found else. sound reports quite handy. There's one uh, production mixer up here that uh, we've been doing the same series together for years and years and years, and I always reference his sound reports, maybe because I know the quality that he writes in them. But I find it really helpful to know where he's just put. for notes or for what. Uh, so for where he's put plant mics, for example, he'll give me, you know, he'll, he'll go, I've got a plant and I've put it here so that when you're watching the image, you can go, all right, OK, I know where that is. Then I know whether I can use it or whether not to use it. Um, uh, there's He gives us little clues for um, I've had to put two labs on this one because or radio mics, this one, because, you know, the first one didn't work so well here. So use this one or boom two is for the second half of the scene. Mm. Boom one's for the first half. And all these three things I tend to cherry pick, you know, I'll, before um, I actually cut anything, I'll have a very quick flick through his sound reports and very quickly I'll get a feel for what are the good scenes, what are the bad scenes. Uh, like Michelle was saying, for wild tracks is really handy because anything that's been wild tracked immediately goes in my head as going, this scene was a problem when you shot it because if you asked for a wild track, there's a reason you asked for a wild track. So I'm always trying to eyeball that through an episode 
and through the AEF or to see have they used the wild track? Did they like it? Did it work? Is it going to be an ADR consideration and sort of get a feel from that? So, um, but I have to say that's only one chap in the last sort of 10 years that I've got reliable sound reports from that I could trust and go, okay, th- this is what he was thinking when he was doing Does it. Does his and stuff go into the notes in the metadata of the files too, or do you only get it as a separate? Uh, I only get it as a separate handwritten Interesting. Oh, handwritten. Oh, you well, don't get it in your metadata. No, uh, n- not not back then. Well, the last one I got was maybe two or three years ago now. So uh, whether he's updated um, his workflow now, uh, I'm about to find out because uh, we're moving on to the next series together. So um, I'll find out on that one. But yeah, uh, usually it's it's handwritten. Well, there's a there's a there's a lot of possibilities with this communication line. Uh, you know, using technology that haven't been plumbed. I think uh, the conversation has occasionally been had with me and others and might try and have it again soon. Uh, you know, because sound recorders have now got access to iPad apps and stuff like this. So there, and some of them, some of them just recently have been saying Facebook forums about, they want to annotate scripts and stuff in more detailed ways. It's just a question of how do we translate that in a useful form? That's always the question. And uh, so, yeah, I'm in a position potentially to help with that. Yeah, that's how I'm getting notes at this point is that, you know, uh, again, because the reports have been here or there as far as usefulness, uh, with it being in the metadata in the files, I'm using the the uh, metadata window in Kraken um, to put that information up on screen. So every time you're on a take, you know, the notes that they bother to put in there uh, come up. Now, it sounds like Ian's guy is putting in much better notes than my guys are a lot of the time. So the unfortunate thing is, and God love them. I mean, they do put in notes about stuff about problems with shots, but if it's already in the cut, I'm kind of stuck. Uh, you know, that, that's something that's maybe a little bit more useful to the picture department to pay attention to. Um, but you know, whenever, you know, I see, Oh, playing on back half of scene in the notes, it's sort of at this point that, that, that horse is out of the barn, as they say. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the yeah. obvious notes are kind of useless, really. It's, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's more important to see where their wild tracks or if they did an extra bit at the end or if they've t- taken three takes in one scene, which happens often. And you don't know that until you actually start listening to the entire take. Yeah. That, that kind of information, I think, would be really useful. That would actually be quite, quite yeah. that would be quite straightforward. Like you could, there's a way you could enter in, like, this this take contains three times through the scene. Yeah. You could, that could be some kind of automation. Yeah, that's... That's definitely that would be much more useful than there was a screaming yeah. child underneath or an airplane take. passing. Yeah, I can yeah. hear that. Thank you very exactly. much. Exactly. I almost feel like it's making fun of me at that point. <laughs> it's like, There's an airplane on this one. Good luck. <laughs> like, thanks. I suppose the question we really have to ask here though is who are they writing the notes for? Right. At that point, if we're if we're taking them that it's intended for us, yeah, actually. Maybe, might not maybe, be. Maybe it's it might not. Also, yeah, it's for the picture editors, so they know not to use that take for when they're actually editing the yeah, picture. But they will. Oh, so that's what they're supposed yeah, to do. But, is they're but, supposed but to they not will. use that take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I've rarely seen that happen, though. I see uh, often. Do not use this take in the notes. I've seen that because of noise, but it ends up and in it's the, still in the cut. Still in yeah. the cut. Yeah, of course, it is. <laughs> absolutely. And then they wonder why we're ADRing. The editor it. thought yeah. that was just a message to the dialogue editor. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on are we going to have to upgrade these notes now to say for the attention of so we just know what, which department are you writing this particular note for there needs to be a separate column the dialogue editor notes column and then the picture editor notes column yeah and never the twain shall meet they're two, all two completely different bits of information yeah but i mean but but in seriousness there is there is something that can be done to to translate the 
the mental energy of the recordist on set, which is a lot, you know, and then they try to transmit that onto paper or into metadata, and there's only a limited way they can do it. And so there's a lot of energy, a lot of information from them, and then it gets funneled through this very narrow channel and everything falls off as it goes through the picture edit. Everything just falls off of the, of the wagon and then it ends up in a bare bones thing handed over. It, bare bones, enough stuff, but you know, there's potential to figure out some super duper future workflows. So people should start talking about that, you know, through amps and, and other places. If anybody that does the set thing is listening, I definitely, whoever came up with the idea of putting their three runs through and one take in here, yep. uh, that'd be useful information. Pretty please, sugar on top, because yes. I've never seen that in there. And I have, that's a, L, I mean, I don't know if it's a, thing over there but here you know a lot of the, my show shoot in canada and almost every director will get two or three run-throughs yeah they don't want to stop cut. they don't want to stop yeah. they just want to keep going keep going keep going yeah, yeah. okay that's a good segue as i'm going to get for the next question really which is that um what's really fascinating to me is how the role has changed of dialogue editing over the years and what tools you have to do the work as well which will kind of elaborate on um but yeah, I wondered if you could kind of speak on how in the time that you've been working as dialogue editors, um, the day-to-day -day work has changed. Well, my, for, for me, the big change was just going from indie film to TV and uh, moving into TV, more serious production line sort of work. Then it's a f fixed schedule. You've got to just get it done because normally we have to, like two weeks is the, roughly the sort of time I think we get for an episode, but that's crowd, ADR, and sync editing. So I think it's not too far off that for Vince. Yeah, our stuff is just much more fragmented. It's much more divided up on who does what. And I mean, sometimes it, you know, it ends up being one person, but they're still allocated as kind of separate jobs so they can be moved onto multiple people because a lot of times we're turning stuff around in four days between when we get it and when it has to mix. So, you know, one one human can't necessarily do everything. So you've got two dialogue editors and a supervisor doing ADR and somebody else dealing with group and all those things are, you know, set up into bite-sized bits so that, you know, yeah, it might add up to be about two weeks probably total, but the dialogue job is considered, you know, five or six days or whatever the budget is for the show. Is that a, is that a thing of the bigger the production, the more they pull those kind of things like crazy fast turnarounds or? Yeah. I mean, I, it's hit and miss. I mean, usually the biggest thing is like pilot season gets to be the craziest here. Um, because you're just doing, you know, everybody has a hand in it and they wait until the last possible moment and everybody wants to touch it. And, and that whole process ends up always being, I mean, I did, uh, two pilot seasons ago, we had a two day turnaround. Um, we prepped the whole show we, and I think it was like on a, you know, got it Saturday night and it mixed Monday, you know, and I think we pushed roll on Monday morning to like 11 AM or something. Um, and, and, you know, it was just, you know, four different dialogue editors doing what they do and, you know, we had minimal ADR that we shot on day one while we were on stage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like I said, it's just broken up in such a way that it it is made to be a little bit more digestible by a multiple person team if you have the need to do so, I guess is the best way to put it. I guess that workflow relies on having a, a, a strong supervisor to oversee all that because that's a lot of material that you've got going to a lot of different people, potentially cutting in a lot of different ways sure. for, this, for the same mixer, perhaps, or mixers. Um, so... I suppose that works um, in the way that I guess we work over here in the sense that if you're doing the dialogue, you're it. And you're, you're then responsible for queuing ADR, uh, doing your own assembly, cutting the dialogue, organising loop, 
um, and everything that goes along with that. Where yeah, that, that's that's the, the major difference I see between what we do here and what you guys do over the pond is that we, from day one, you're hit. You've got the you've you've got the gig. Run with it. We have we have divided the job. I was say we got so many guys that are so good at one element of the job. I mean, granted, you know, there are certainly certain dudes that do everything, but I, I have quite a few dialogue guys that work with me who I think like just being dialogue guys who just, you give them their show, they go in their little room with no windows, close the door, leave them alone for three days and they'll cut, you know, what they got. You know, you send them your ADR sheets, maybe they'll bounce back a couple of notes about things that they're concerned about as far as like, ah, oh, you might want to get a safety for this line or whatever now that we're into it. Um, but you know, a lot of those guys, I don't think necessarily want a supervised group or deal with, you know, having to spot or cue or any of that stuff. Like they're happy just to be, you know, again, <laughs> God love them. It's nice to be able to pass on certain parts of the job. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's nice in our workflow where we have a supervisor who's kind of like in charge of that stuff. And then the pieces can kind of go to the guys that excel at whatever part of the puzzle that they personally excel at, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think over here it's it's kind of it has changed somewhat in that you I mean for me I would end up doing all the dialogues ADR crowd all of that. But now it's starting to split a bit more depending on how much time you have and of course the budget of the program. Um so I've worked with Mark before where he's done the dialogues and I've done the ADR. Um and that seems to be uh an ongoing sort of setup um in the last few years I think. Um which works pretty well. Um, I mean, I quite like cutting my own dialogues because then I know exactly what I need to get for ADR and, but it, it, it actually, it's been working really well that way. So I think in that respect, it's been, it's been really positive. Yeah. It has a good and bad things to it. Of course, if you can get the system working well, it's obviously great to share stuff. It's a, it's schedules, isn't it? I think that the the schedule pushing, I've not been in TV long enough to, to know the long-term patterns, but the schedule pushing is what dictates that the sound team just says uh let's just get two people and pile it all up yeah it's usually the adr for me where we come into a stumbling block to be honest is that normally in schedules these days we've been seeing you'll get the you know you'll get the time that's in the schedule for to cut the dialogue or to do the effects or there's the time for the foley and there's the time for the mix and then it just takes you know one conversation to say when am i going to do the adr and then when am i going to fit the adr and then when you're going to fit the loop into that, and that's the bit where I've seen quite a few post-supervisors go white when they realise, oh, I've not left you enough time in the schedule. No, you haven't. And that's when you need to bring on somebody else, which I don't have anything against it. The last production I did, I brought Mark on as an ADR editor, worked really well. And it, you know, made my job a bit easier because I had to, you know, cue it, but could send it away and could trust it would come back and it was all happy. But um, I think that's the bit that, often gets overlooked in schedules is not leaving enough time for the ADR to be recorded and then fitted. And I think that's that's the big difference. Obviously, ADR is always the big unknown. So, you know, do you say it's two days per hour ep that you put aside? That's not really our job to dictate, but we all know that's roughly what it takes. And that's assuming you get cast, at, you know, all together at the same time and you get a studio and that's that's the biggest part of how I think I see the dialogue editor's role has changed. It's been that we are now sort of being held to ransom by when actors are available, when you get studios, when you can do the ADR, and then having to fit that in around everything else that's going on. And of course, COVID's not helping that no, situation. No, ab- ab- absolutely. And then you've been asked, okay, well, uh, we can't get them into studios, so especially in the current climate, can we send them a mic? And okay, right, so now I've got 
less than perfect ADR in the first instance because it's in somebody's living room. This is probably a different podcast, to be fair, to talk about this. But, you know, <laughs> you know, these days it's overseeing much, much more than just cutting the dialogue. I mean, for me, I've had difficulties because um, last year things got delayed because of COVID and filming got delayed. And so location was a big problem. So they, they filmed in Italy and it was all covered in cicadas and air conditioning. So for instance, on that particular episode, 85% of it was ADR, but that wasn't typical. So, um, I, I, you know, I think it does vary, um, quite a lot depending on each show. I mean, like Mark, I'm, I'm on a, on a regular show as well. And that has minimal ADR. I mean, they just know what they're doing and it's all very controlled and it's just rewritten lines and that's about it. Do you have like a set number before you extend the time that you say you need? Or, I mean, do you have an agreement to say, yeah, we'll do 50 cues within the budget and then anything beyond that we will talk? Or how does that usually work for you guys? The only, the only thing I have, again, with this specific project is that I do a very, very quick assessment of how much time I need, totally instinctive, and inevitably that is the scheduled time. It, it never it never changes, you know. So I, have, I I get it right first time, and it just seems to work out. You just get used to sort of just knowing what's worth recording and what's you know. I basically allocate my time by dividing up the cues into more cues if I want more time, you know. So assume for a five minute per cue or whatever it is, and if 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 a whole chunk of something is going to be easy, I'll put it as one long cue. If I think it's going to be painful, I'll divide it up. So I just instinctively sort of allocate myself more time. Yeah, I, I mean, I put I put what I think is necessary on the list. And if the actor says I'm not doing it, well, you know, if the producer or the director is there, you know, they've heard it and they're the ones who are going to make the call. I'll say to them why I need it. If they think, well, can we, you know, can we just not do it? Fine. It's on your shoulders. I mean, it, you know, I put it down because I think it needs doing. Um, I mean, unless it's a performance thing, then that's totally their responsibility. But yeah, I mean, I, what I try to do for ADR is I try to have um, is a bounce of my dialogues if I can have, help it. So then everyone can hear what I'm hearing so that they get an idea of what's, what's being, what's going to be delivered to the mixer. So they can hear like the alts that I've put in and things like that. So I'll put a line in, as Ian has said, you know, and, and if they go, oh, actually, I quite like that. Brilliant. Cross it off the list. There we go. You know, so everybody's heard it. So there's an approval right there and then, and I can make a note of it and tell the mixer they liked what I've put in as far as an alt. So we didn't ha have to ADR it. Yeah, I wish I could get my my tracks to the stage that fast. <laughs> We're usually turned over on Monday and shoot an ADR on Tuesday or Wednesday. So I'm like, ah. Well, it's usually for those key lines. So, you know, for instance, if, if, if I can find an alt quickly, like through Kraken, yeah. um, you know, then I get those thrown in and I just kind of mix them in with production sound. I don't actually, you know, if I can get a nice bounce in my dialogues, then brilliant. But if I can't, then at least I can give the ADR mixer those little bits to play in, in the room. Um, and then everybody can go, oh, you know what? That alt just works fine. We don't need to ADR it and then move on. And it's a really handy time to do that as well because you've usually got everybody who is involved exactly. in the important decision-making in the room together because they usually all make an effort to turn up to see the cast again for ADR. So when you're there, it's the perfect opportunity to go, okay, I'm going to look like a hero and save some time and everybody signed off on it. And show Great. what I've done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It's amazing. <laughs> I feel like... 
things are so different there versus here. It's almost like you guys are on the other side of the world. I'm just saying. Because, yeah, no, I uh, usually the ADR sessions is me directing them and one producer, but not like a front who was on set, like a post producer, will show up and usually, you know, maybe will give me some idea of what they think the selects are. But, yeah, most of the time they don't showrunners, directors. Nobody comes to ADR. They just expect us to get it based upon what they tempt in and go, yeah, yeah, that's about what we want and go ahead and match that. And that's largely uh, what I'm working from. Does it mean they care more or they care less? I don't know. I think they, I, I mean, I, I would, I would toot my own horn and say like they, they trust, trust us to do, they yeah, trust, they trust us to do what we do. And they, you know, they, I mean, it's not like they don't, the, those people are involved in the playbacks and they've, you know, been happy with the work that they've gotten so far. And they feel like in the spotting session, we talked about what the purpose of the line is or whatever it is. And so they kind of just trust in our workflow that, you know, our guys can get what they're going to need. And they've got somebody there as a backup set of ears just in case. Uh, but, you know, like I said, knock on wood, they've been very happy with the work that we do. So I guess that's a sign that it's working. Again, I think it comes back to what Mark was saying, though, where I feel like our schedules are just a little quicker. So uh, there's not as much time to sit and think about it and be super precious. It's just, you know, the, the finish line is coming and everybody's, <laughs> everybody's running their marathon for better. Cut for this worse. out, cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it sounds like in a way that like just your, uh, experiences might be similar in one way in that, like it, it's a very, um, top heavy workload. Like the, the earliest days are very key in terms of, like hitting the ground running and, and building ADR lists like Ian touched on having like a first pass ADR list so you know just to give people listening context I'm guessing that's happening as soon as possible to start that conversation off and yeah and and to be honest that's that's where I find it the the most stressful part about cutting dialogue actually sitting cutting dialogue I could do that all day no bother don't find that stressful I find it quite fun actually you know especially with uh, Mark's tool cracking it's made it so much easier and so much quicker and that's the thing for me that's really important is that, you know, once we get turnover, within a couple of days, you're being harassed for an ADR list. Now, in the olden days, when I say the olden days, I'll call these um, BK before cracking, is that, you know, <laughs> it, it would take you quite a few days just to get through the assembly to find out what have I actually got in front of me. So, you know, say you get your turnover on a Monday, by the time you've got it all loaded in, matched everything, whether you're using Pro Tools or off of DATS as we did in the olden days or whatever, you know. You've got your, your session there, then you're making at that point a quality assessment because the the list you get from production is the list that they're going to supply whether you're involved or not. You know, they're gonna want stuff for uh store plot points or somebody's performance and all that sort of stuff. But whether looking at us is for the, the quality assessment on the production dialogue, can we get it clean enough? Or do we got all the bits to get what we need at the end of it that's nice, clean and clear and concise dialogue that we could make space for your foley and for your effects and for the music? And, you know, that's a big part of what we're trying to clean up as part of the dialogue edit process. So um, for me, always that first week is when the pressure's on because, you know, by Wednesday afternoon, you're getting the emails going, you got the first pass of ADR yet? And you're going, hang on. Wait a minute, you know? Well, this is one of the reasons why I try, like you said, I try to get it as soon as I get it. I, I go and attack and start doing a quick pass of the dialogue edit, and hopefully it's before a spotting session. So then I can actually come back to the spotting session with questions and go, why did you use that alt? It doesn't fit, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> or do we need to ADR it? Because I find that, you know, if you do a spotting session and then go to your dialogues, 
you're, you're going, oh, well, what's this? And totally. we didn't really see it on the spotting session because it went by so quickly. Yeah. But when you start getting into the nitty gritty of it, you start to realize there's some real issues in here. Um, so ideally in my world, I like to get it, then do a spotting session. And then by that point, I will have a rough ADR list as well. So at the spotting session, I can already tell them, this is how much time I think it's going to take. Probably going to add another 15%. Yeah. But at least then everybody's got an idea. And that's the first time we're all together. And I can actually tell them the hard truth, if that's possible. Yeah, that's always the idea. I totally agree. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, I would love that. The bodies are buried. I, I would, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I think just the schedules that I've been, you know, working to recently, is uh, we've been doing spotting sessions before they've locked. That's how crazy it's become. You know, where yeah. you're watching an unlocked and going, oh, that's really nice. Uh, but you know, uh, the flip side of that is that that's the time for us uh, all as sound professionals to call out these things when it's still before it locks. Is to go see that alt you put in or that cheat. That's never going to work. That's why I always fantasize about a world in which, and it, it started, it's happening in the feature side, uh, in, in the States at least. I don't know how it's going anywhere else, but where the supervising sound editor serves more of a role in the picture department while things are happening. Because, you know, there, there, there's some elements where, you know, they want sound effects or whatever, and we're kind of sending half-assed versions of ideas of here's some pieces for the assistant editors to cut in. But a lot on the feature side, guys, are in the cutting rooms or, you know, set up a room next door while they're prepping everything. And, and as the super, at least as a supervisor are, you know, doing prelays of, of, of sound effects stuff for certain scenes and maybe looking at, at raw dialogue stuff. And I've always had a fantasy about doing that same job in the television side, like taking, you know, cause a lot of those, I mean, in the States, again, I don't know how it is over there, but the picture departments will hire like a music editor on day one. And so there's a music editor that's on their payroll that is available to them who does pretty much nothing a lot of the times just waiting for there to be things to do um i'm like take that and i, I can do mediocre music editing like hire a supervisor who does dialogue music and effects and get them in the cutting room next door to handle all that stuff you know i mean that's kind of my fantasy of the future being like you know like you said where you're like oh run the cheat by vince in the next room and see if that's going to work you know what i mean i'd love to be see an environment where you know that that idea again not an entire team but somebody who is sort of your you know your your supervisor slash you know somebody that can cut a little bit to get into the cutting rooms in the early stages of the tv and just kind of be around to work like that you know what i mean yeah i think it's interesting because especially now with covid it has changed things and i've i actually had a picture editor send me a, a, a scene to show me the cheat that they were doing and, and asked me if this was going to work if we we're going to adr the line and i actually had him move it earlier by about three frames and we had to compromise because he it was the flow of the scene or whatever so <laughs> which was really nice because they know that things are trickier now so they 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 actually checked with me which i thought was amazing and having that was cool and a, a film that i did work on um i got to speak to the to the sound recordist before they started filming wow what was that like i know Bro, like what, what was that like i know it was amazing <laughs> and i'm i'm now trying as soon as i find out i'm on a job i try to find out right away who the sound recordist is and have a chat with them even while they're shooting if i can just to see how it's all going so i get an idea of where things are at but speaking to that sound recordist before the shoot was dream because i could tell him look can we just be careful of feet because it was like run on scene so you know, he was following characters. I was like, can you make sure this carpet, can you make sure people are wearing socks? You know, those little things that in the in the 
great scheme of things, you know, they're not thinking about. But it was it was really, really nice to sort of have that opportunity. And maybe things will change because of that, you know, because of COVID, I think people's eyes are opening a little bit more and, and the understanding of what we need and what they need is, is um, maybe more prevalent. I don't know. Seems like things slowed down enough a little bit to where, you know, a lot of times the trains were rolling and rolling and rolling. And so that it was just seen there wasn't any time. There was no time to talk about this, no time. And then when things kind of stopped for a minute, as things started back up kind of slowly, you got a little bit more of an opportunity to go, hey, let's check in with this guy or let's get these people connected because they almost because the people in charge didn't have much else to do. It seemed like I felt like I got a lot more, you know, communication and, and you know, integration because there was just a little bit more time. Or even meeting producers and directors and editors all in one space because of Zoom. Mm. Um, you know, we just all like I started a project where we all met even before a spotting session. I mean, they'd already filmed it, but it was still nice to sort of go, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to be doing this. And it was just to see, you know, put a face to the name and God, that was luxury. It was lovely. <laughs> so maybe with some hope and luck that these kind of things will persist because a lot of it seems driven by the technology that's available as well. Because uh, we've definitely highlighted Zoom as a new piece of technology uh, that has become very valuable as we're all working more kind of isolated. Yes. And it's pretty clear as well that we're living in a post-Kraken world. And, and that certainly <laughs> absolutely. is an indispensable All hail tool. All Kraken. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this podcast it's, is not sponsored by Kraken. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Covering my bases Might for Might as me. well be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all, that's all he said. So are there any other tools? Um, was, the, was the kind of tail end of that question. Any other kind of bits of software or tools that you've just found to be really indispensable. RX. Auto-align. Yeah, auto-align, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yep. Love it. And RX. Folks at Sound Radix, yes. Yeah. Big shout out to them. Mm. Pro Tools, RX, Kraken, auto-align. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we sort of touched on it before. It's me sort of saying how the job's changed. It seems there was like a pre-RX and a post-RX world. And a pre-auto-align, post-auto-align. That, that's another yeah. big one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was a few years ago. I grabbed, you know, I, I didn't realize anybody had done it, but I grabbed their previous product that was used for aligning drum tracks because I I had a I built a shuttle wheel in my setup with nudging and and everything to be able to jog stuff into phase. And but again, I was being super selective about what scenes I would double cut because it just took so much more time. So you'd be like, all right, yeah, this is a, you know, like, ah, the boom doesn't really, it's good for here and ooh, in here it doesn't. And instead of jumping back and forth, where which was always terrible. Um, you know, like it, it, you were, you were picking your battles so much more and because you had to do it manually. And so like, I found their little drum alignment thing, but it was an insert that like you had to leave in, like it would calculate the offset and then you had to leave it. And I'm like, I can't send that to the stage. So I, you know, it was, I went on their forums and I wrote this diatribe of God, if you guys could just get this to work like auto, you know, or like a vocal line does where you, you know, have a target track. And uh, wrote this whole diatribe on their on their thing, and I, I think it was like a month or two later. Uh, there's a fellow dialogue editor named Doug Mountain who works here in LA. He, he literally hadn't seen my post, but had literally posted almost word for word the exact same request because he had discovered the same tool they had that did the phase offset, but didn't really work in a workflow that worked for us as an audio suiting. Uh, and it, so whenever they finally, a year later announced the tool in the announcement, they put a little name check for me and Doug to say, Hey, we finally got around to making this thing work the way that you guys said. Uh, and so then now they've, now they've made tons of money and won lots of awards. And I, I, I feel like I should go to them and be like, Hey, 
where's my cut on this <laughs> thing over here? But I will say that I think the work that I'm getting to do as a result of using it is, is my cut. Uh, I've been super happy. Just the show I'm working on right now, it's just something about the combination of the microphones and being able to kind of adjust them into, you know, individually and kind of even across cuts to be able to match cuts a lot better just by just your sort of ballparking in with clip gain has been, uh, I'm just so much, I feel so much happier about the quality of dialogue, uh, when I finish the edits, I just feel like there's a, there's a warmth and a room, a natural room that just couldn't always be there before. Uh, and that's been, uh, one of the tools as far as the sonic component, you know, obviously RX is another big one Uh, workflow. I mean, Kraken is a big one that clearly dialogue editor related, but the other one that I've kind of discovered that I've been super excited about has been uh, running um, Source Nexus. Uh, I don't know if that's something that you guys have played with at all, but not necessarily as a dialogue editor, but certainly for ADR and and doing this kind of stuff and whatever, being able to pipe audio in and out of Pro Tools super easily. Uh, the Source Nexus Pro gives you an infinite number of buses. So like, you know, when I'm doing, I'm, I have convoluted ADR setup templates that connect me to Source Connect bring in time code. I'm cheating time code into another application to be able to turn, commit it to MIDI time code. So I don't have to have a sync IO and I'm, I'm sending to and from zoom. So I'm looping in the producers and I'm running, I'm the center point for everything. So the studio is connected to me via source connect. I'm streaming picture to the producers that are watching and I'm streaming audio and their zoom contact back to the talent if they want it. And I can bypass and turn it on. And I've got discrete paths in and out of pro tools into every application on my computer. Uh, and that's all done in Source Nexus, which um, is a is a a lifesaver in this current environment of you know I'm running an entire what would have been a multi million dollar sound studio out of the second bedroom of my house uh, <laughs> to accomplish ADR. Uh, I've been you know Source Connect and Source Nexus; those two tools have been um, seriously, seriously uh, uh, useful in, in that in that world for me. Yeah, I know Source Connect has been very useful for me as well. Um, another one is EdiQ. Yeah, obviously EdiQ is I couldn't live without that. I I will also say like uh, Mark being a, a key um, example of this, but certainly the source uh, elements folks and um, a, a couple of the other tools that I use. Pro Tools not one of them, but that the accessibility to the developers and the people that are working on these projects and their openness to uh, you know to communicate with you and um, to you know take suggestions even dealing with, you know, licensing or whatever it is to, it, it, it is so refreshing to be able to deal directly with the people that are making the products. Yes. Um, you know, sound particles, another thing I used from time to time that like, again, everybody there has been great and really open to ideas and the ways that you're making stuff work. Um, you know, I, uh, both, both, uh, this Mark and the Mark from sounds and sync will tell you that I'm in their email box, you know, once a month with things and ideas and questions and why it works a certain way that it works. Uh, and I feel incredibly spoiled, uh, and to be in the beta groups for a lot of these, uh, programs like RX, um, it's just really nice that our community is relatively small, still small enough, uh, that you have kind of a direct line to these folks. And so, you know, with Mark griping about the, the source live stuff, you know, it's, it's nice that you have a direct Avenue an email will almost universally get some sort of response that isn't a, a form letter, which is it's so nice. I get so spoiled by that. Yeah, probably. I'm probably just going to whinge about it here and not write a proper email, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's also an option as part of new media, you know. <laughs> say, especially from the guy that's always like, oh, just email it to me. He's like, yeah. you know, you tell him something. He's like, oh, yes, you send an email to me. And then, of course, when the flip happens, he's like, yeah, I don't have time for Yeah, that. no, no I, I, I understand. 
That does seem a, another big change, though, as you say, that like technology is allowed. Maybe there's more communication and it seems much more of an evolving conversation between people developing tools and, and the need and, and the feedback response. And, and, I, and I would say all of us probably do something different. Like, I mean, again, just I mean, obviously with the workflow, we've all talked about it's way different. But I mean, again, you know. I, I have automation and I'm a key, big keyboard maestro guy. And I know, you know, Mark maybe is a SoundFlow guy or, you know, there's all these different ways to find these solutions that we all can kind of cherry pick the things that seem to click best with our brains, which I also think is super interesting about this, where like you'll never find two people that really use exactly the same set of tools to get to where we're going. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a similar similar point to what I was been thinking thinking just now. Like an interesting question is, the, the, the different ways in which we all actually edit and the, and what we deliver. It's quite hard to talk about in a podcast because it's sort of, it's very, very specific differences, but sure. the way we do things and the nature of what we deliver is like, that's that's a question that a lot of like newcomers always ask, like, you know, how how do you do the job? What is, what do I do? What are the secrets? And uh, the, the thing I've learned the most of anything is that there is no answer. There is no book that just says the tick box and this is what you've got to do it totally just depends every situation every person you're handing over to and the skill and get and receiving and from. receiving from and the, the skill is about just having enough ability and tools to be able to adapt and fit into whatever workflow comes your way yeah and you know i think to be honest a lot of the time the timeline will tell you what it needs done to it is that when you see how the assembly arrives on your pro tools timeline in front of you with enough experience and you know we've all got you know fairly decent experience here that you can look at that and go i know how i'm going to do that because the tracks will tell you with the material that you've been presented from production so uh, but, but then sometimes it's all about who you're delivering to i believe strongly that in the idea of do whatever the, the person you're delivering to wants because that's in the end pragmatically that's all that really matters is the next person down the line you need to make it work for them but i know they're Absolutely. but that said if they're if they're asking yeah. for something insane make sure they know that they're insane still do well, that's it. the thing is, <laughs> but i make sure to tell them you're a crazy person i'm gonna do it the way you said but you're crazy just so some you know. people i've heard some people push back on that and say no i i, I do it the proper way and i deliver the way that i do it because it's the proper way and i hand it over well, that's it, exactly because the people who actually only see our work is the mixer yeah. that, we're, that we're delivering to. You know, we'll, we see it daily, so we know what we do and what we're capable of and how we're going to deliver stuff. But if that's not how somebody's expecting it, whether it sounds good or not will have an impact on whether they think you've done a good job or not. Yeah, it doesn't is, matter what it sounds like know, if they can't find where it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they can't figure out how and, it's laid out. And it's, one, it's yeah. Well, as soon as, I, as soon as I get the job, I'm calling the production mixer and the re-recording mixer just to make sure how they want the track lay to be and what they require and color coding and mm. whatever. What do they want, what do they want sure split they... off and how much RX do you yeah. want to do? Do you want things processed? Do you want them yeah. not unprocessed? You know, and because that has a huge knock-on effect to not only how you lay out your tracks, but how you're going to edit. If you know you're not, if you don't have to or being told not to noise reduce some stuff, that has a big impact on what you're going to ask for for ADR and what you're going to find alts for. Yeah. So uh, I think that's an important decision to have. Yeah, as you say, Michelle, right at the start, find find out what's what's the variables here. What what am I playing to? Never mind the the schedule's one thing, yeah. but the only people that are actually going to see your work is the mixer. I will say uh, I accidentally screen shared my edit session to Mark one time, and he referred to my editing as Priscillian. Did I? Uh, and uh, he said, oh, it was a very Purcellian edit. Oh, and Purcellian. I have been so self-conscious. Yeah, Purcellian. Uh, 
for based on the dialogue editing. John, the, John the Purcell book. book, yes. The John Purcell book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've been totally self-conscious about the layout of my uh, fades and tracks ever since. Oh, so, Mark, thanks sorry. for that. Now I'm second guessing everything I do. Just visually, <laughs> well, uh, it doesn't even matter how it sounds. Well, uh, just you saw it and was like, mm, "That looks I kn- suspicious." I know that if we that if we all compared uh, dialogue edits, we would be just endlessly paranoid about everything. That's <laughs> that's that, that's the point I'm making is that we all just have a slightly different. I mean, the end product is obviously just clarity and being able to hear a smooth playback. I mean, yeah, we all know that, but yeah. the way you get there is uh, there are some different ways of doing it, and it's very intriguing. The, the 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 slight differences and you know if you've got an established workflow you then you just do it a certain way but going on to a new job or working with someone else or sharing a job you've got to decide how much you're gonna how much time you're gonna spend unifying these things and it, yeah. it can be quite quite serious operation to sort of you know get on the same page I think you could summarize it maybe tell the story with clarity and make it easy for the next person down the line and then how to put that into into actual workflow is well, the, that, yeah, the, that's the, job, yeah. <laughs> the longer answer <laughs> sure. well um on on the subject of like commu- talking about communication um rather than looking forwards actually i wanted to look back with a bonus question from the amps community uh because production sound mixer grant bridgman asked if there was one request that you could make to production sound mixers what would it be what we, what we should all do is is communicate and collaborate, and that's, that applies in every every part of the chain. No, but I think I think the question is if you can't communicate, if you okay. and you just had one like one flag that they need to know coming from our side of the fence, but you could not do the groundwork stuff that you should be able to do. What would be that thing? Well, if we start saying stuff, it's going to be a list. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. Set set your frame rate to the correct frame rate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, how, what productions point? are you working on? Well, exactly. How, I mean, how silly are we getting here? Like, you know, um, uh, let's as, let's assume they've done the job before. Well, this is just about what are my current gripes. Yeah. To be honest, I think we've touched on this earlier. I, I think that a big part of this is the notes and the metadata. Yeah. Give me accurate notes. Yeah. In your files. Yeah. I can do way more than that than a conversation of half an hour would if we can't get it. If you can get the half an hour conversation, that's magic. That's perfect. If that can't happen yeah. because but of even schedules... Even the half an hour conversation is not going to yeah. help you about specifics. Give, give like me the notes. Saying, like, give, give me what's in your no, head. Exactly. As you're shooting it. If you're shooting it and you go, notes that laugh good. sounds a bit rustly, tell me. And, and you know, we, 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 there's so much information can be get from timelines and EDLs and all the rest of it. What you can't tell me is what's right in front of the production mixer at that time, is that somebody's mic died halfway through the line. Tell me. I've put the plant, you know, in the plant pot or it's on the arm of the sofa. Tell me all of that because that's really helpful information. Yeah. I think I think knowing where microphones are really helpful. I think, though, if a microphone is rustly, they won't really know because then they would have sorted it out. <laughs> I always have the fantasies. Unfortunately, they don't have the control over the set that I wish that they did. Um, but I... I I always would love the opportunity for if you're doing a scene where the clothes are coming off, give me one run through up to the clothes coming off with laughs still on the people. Because, you know, where you'll have like a scene where like you've got 15 setups and maybe even half of them, the clothes come off and they don't they don't switch the miking configuration in those situations where maybe they could have gotten away with it. I would love for them to be looking a lot more closer at like, do we really need to go without lav mics during this bit of business um i would also love i mean this is just me because i'm dealing with a a stunt heavy show um 
actually miking the stunt performers to some degree if they if it's within union rules to be able to do so. Um, just because, you know, I end up a lot of the doubles would be fine for effort doubles or at least to have a good guide track. But, you know, the the they left the blab on the actual actor who went to craft services. So I've just got a track of him talking about his weekend, uh, uh, you know, if for that bit of scene or whatever. Those have been like just just thinking outside the box a little bit about getting maybe tracks that aren't even necessarily going to be used, but just good guide tracks uh, more often. But like I said, yeah, I always have problems where somebody's going to take their shirt off in the middle of a scene. And so I can tell from, you know, the first setup that they don't have a body mic. I know what's about to happen. And I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to just figure out a way to say, hey, can we do run run through up to the clothes coming off and cut? And then we'll go back and, re, you know, set up for that that bit of business because it's just be so nice even just for alts to be able to have uh you know those those bits i mean but you know i mean i'm not on i'm not on set but i know that set has changed you know i mean i i i'm relatively new to the scripted game but i definitely have seen just in the evolution of the last five years how much more often we're shooting multiple cameras where it used to always just be a single camera thing because cameras were expensive and they had one of them and that's how they would set it up and so like everything was based around that one shot, you know, and so like everything else in the world was super open to be able to do whatever. And now I'm seeing A, B and C setups. So where you're getting medium wides and, you know, insert shots all in the same thing. And so boom, goes out the window. Um, you know, so again, they're struggling with a, with a, with a lot of things. And, and I would love to see, you guys were talking about plant mics. I would love to see more plant mics. It's not a very, I don't know why, but the productions that I work on other than cars, you never see hidden mics. And I came out of you know, hidden camera reality shows with pr prank people where there were 20 mics hidden in plants and, you know, and, and literal plant mics and, you know, on the bar and, you know, in somebody's jacket and whatever. And, you know, I'm used to jumping around physically in the scene to get that stuff to play. Uh, and they just, you know, the, the scripted productions don't really do that as much. They rely on other things when it, I have multiple instances where it would have saved a lot of pain in the ass to have, a hidden mic just in one spot where they knew it was going to be problematic to get. So it's because of prep time, I'm sure. Those yeah, I'm sure. And hiding them, you know, maybe for a reality show, you can actually get away with it showing here and there. But when it's, as you probably know, when you're doing dramas or film, they, they're trying to hide them in best possible places. So I think that does make things a little bit more tricky. I've had the, where I've had lots of plant mics. I've had the opposite where I've had, it was, I'm not going to complain. I mean, you know, it's because it's great, but lots of plant mics, loads of channels that are just full of, off mic stuff yeah. now obviously it's great it's great when you get the one line that it's for that's fine but if you had if i had to dissolve it down to one thing it's just get good get good lav mic get good radio mic mounting avoid russell yeah i think ev everything else is is probably secondary because you're, you're probably going to boom is challenged by multi-camera so become a radio mic wizard and i would say the secondary to that would just be that to know that we do the metadata thing is a big part of what we do. And I mean, that means like channel names being the characters, you know, I'll get, uh, you know, I'll get stuff where they forgot to reset it between things and everybody's in the wrong place or they'll, you'll get a reshoot person. And so it, half of them are the actor's names instead of the character's names is a little inconsistent and difficult to find stuff, but just know that like those things are not immaterial. Those are super critical. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have seen and take information and, channel name information on on all of my clips all of the time yep. uh when I, when i'm cutting yep and if that data is not there it's definitely uh uh less fun annoying <laughs> and i think actually uh, to, to bring it back to um cracking slightly is that 
that metadata plays such a big part on being able to find alts, especially with the new features and things that Mark is implementing on user feedback, which is just incredible, is that, you know, if you're on the hunt for a character, if it's not labelled uh, consistently, it totally throws off what you think you might have in the rushes. It could be there, but like you're saying, could be an actor name, could be they've swapped and it's now a different character name, but it's only for that line because then they swapped the mic onto somebody else or whatever that, that actually the metadata is becoming a real big thing in our world, especially with, um, as I say, uh, Mark's tool to help find alts and all that, is that to have this information in front of us at sometimes can be overwhelming, but is also just indispensable to be able to to get through stuff. Um, certainly at some of the pace we need to for some of the schedules. And Kraken is the first time I've had reasonable access to a lot of that metadata stuff. I mean, the channel name information is in Pro Tools uh, visible now at this point, but, um, you know, certainly like the notes column doesn't pop up anywhere in Pro Tools. And that's why I use the metadata window in Kraken to just have that chasing my session at all times. So when I'm looking at something, it's pulling up the uh, the extended metadata that we had, didn't have a tool before uh, to be able to access. That's That's been a huge thing for me. And, you know, again, and going back to my production mixers and going, yeah, put whatever details in there you can, because I'm I'm seeing them now, you know, whereas before it was sort of something you could go find if you needed to, but it wasn't super handy in real time while you were cutting until, uh, you know, Kraken sort of implemented that chasing features. Yeah, the 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 path between the recordist and dialogue editor is now is now open. So for recordists and things listening to this, the the challenge is you know, what information can we transmit and how, and the bottleneck is the hardware devices. And if so, if they're separate apps, if people are happy to sit with an iPad as a separate app and annotate things, then then there's a possible new world of, of, of data stream that could be popped up right in the face of the dialogue editor. So the, the sound recordist could annotate that there's a certain alt for a certain line or this or that or whatever whatever things people can think of and that can be made to pop up in the most obtrusive way you want right into the dialogue editor's face you know if people want it to work that way it can be like an alert saying there is an alt for this take here or there so people need to start thinking about how that might work and anyone who can knows about how the hardware might be implemented or the software on iPads, you know, tell me, tell people, let's start a conversation. Let's let's innovate, figure it out. That's definitely an interesting take. I say like metadata is this kind of communicate new communication channel, not that new, but, you know, growing and evolving communication channel between production and post where uh, it would normally like be so hard or so rare to have a face-to-face conversation when it matters. And just, yeah, just actually some really good answers to that question. I think a very open question, but some really nice details came out of it. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you for this whole conversation. Um, This has been really great. It just seems like a good natural way to bring things to a close. Um, We're sort of hoping that's going to become one of maybe a series that we can, you know, keep those kind of round table type chats happening. So, yeah, thanks very much to all of you for being the first to do that. Uh, and join me on this and share your thoughts. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Well, we hope you all enjoyed that discussion. Um, A very interesting conversation, which hopefully will be of use and interest to anyone working in the industry. So we'd like to once again thank Michelle Woods, Vince Tennant, Ian Anderson and Mark Spector for their time and their contributions. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank Chris Roberts and Laura Lovejoy, um, who were involved in the panel on the early planning stages, but unfortunately couldn't join us on the day. 
Uh, Chris and Laura, hopefully we can have you on again for another episode, another discussion perhaps. And we should also reiterate that um, the Amps podcast is not in any way sponsored by Kraken or any of the other products that are mentioned in this episode. Um, But we're also not embarrassed at all to endorse um, these products, which are all wonderful tools for people working in our industry. So yeah, if uh, this podcast inspired you in any way or inspired any thoughts about dialogue editing or responses to any of the opinions that you heard in the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at ampspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter, which is at ampspodcast. And it would be great to start talking about a possible second round table. And uh, AMPS membership is open to those working in sound for film, TV and games, as well as students who intend to make it their profession. So for more information about AMPS and how you can become a member, you can visit amps.net. And until the next episode, we hope you're all well. Yeah, see you then.